Hey Westside family, my name is Eric Johnson and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys and enjoy. All right, I'm going to read it to you. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. There's a lot in uh, Psalms 8, a whole lot. When you begin to look in between the lines and you begin to jump behind the scripture and, and open up the curtain uh, of everything that is there, it, it's quite an, an in-depth uh, chapter. So the first area, and, and there's a couple uh, uh, of thoughts here, is God on earth, or God in the earth, and then man on the earth. So the first area of scripture uh, says, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Let me say that again. How excellent is your name in all the earth. So there's two standouts uh, here that we're going to talk about in verse 1. Number one, that's the name of God. And then number two, in all the earth. So we know that in the Bible, a name represents identity, character, and attributes. So when it says, how excellent is your name, David is basically saying how excellent or how great or how good your character is, your attributes, uh, your identity, the totality of who you are. But then he goes on to say, how excellent is your name, who, how excellent is your character, your attributes, your identity in all the earth. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can take that, like how great God is in the earth, just like how we pronounce him, his blessings for us, you know, churches and so forth, but it actually goes a little bit deeper than that. It actually goes in how the earth itself the universe in which we live, live, we live on ex has, reveals, and contains the character of God himself. If you are a creative type, when you create something, there's a piece of you that's in that something. Create music, write songs, draw, paint, sculpt, design, Whenever you create something, and it comes from you, it's not a mimic of something else, but it comes from you, 
there's a piece of you that is in that creation. Now, we know that God created the earth. And because he created it from nothing, he was not mimicking anything. He was not building off of a copy of something else. He started from nothing. He was the, he is the original creator. So what we know is that there are pieces of God in the earth. We as humans are on the earth, but God is in every aspect of the earth. Pick up dirt, and there is an essence of God in that dirt. Look at the mountains, and you recognize the essence of God in the mountains. Consider the, consider the solar system, and you begin to recognize parts of God in the solar system. Consider how the animal kingdom interacts. Consider how God intended for humanity to interact. What you begin to see is the excellence of God's character, God's attributes, and God's identity within the earth. So I have a few examples. In the earth, you actually see the order of God. For example, gravity. You see the order of God with gravity. Light and darkness. There is a bright light during the day and a dim light during the night. And the brightness of day and the dimness of night correlates with how we are made and what we are able to do and our ability or even our inability to sleep or not sleep. There is the order of God in the light and the darkness of God. Look at how the land and the sea meets, how the waves come and how they crumble and what happens during a high tide and a low tide. You see the order of, the order of God, how the sky and the earth meet how the sun and the moon function, just the food chain itself, you begin to see the order of God. Look at the beauty. California has a lot of beautiful locations. A few hours north of us, we have Yosemite. Beautiful, amazing to stand below El Capitan and look up at that giant slab of rock absolutely beautiful or go two hours kind of northeast of us and you have the sequoias gigantic amazing trees or just go to kern river especially the further you go north and see how ferocious and violent and powerful and majestic that river is when it's coming down just looking at the beauty of the earth gives us insight into the beauty of God. Looking or recognizing the solar system. The solar system, or our system, is, I forget the technical name for it, but is, is, is 600, or six, 600 billion miles wide. Giant. The size of God. God created the solar system. I wish I could remember all the, all the digits and the details of the solar system and the Milky Way and, uh, and, and everything that's involved in that. But it gives us the idea of 
how big and how large God is. The seasons that we have in our earth speaks to us of the seasons that we have in our spirit because God is in the order of the earth. Just look at, look at the plan of reproduction. We have annuals, right? We, where you can only plant them once. And then, or is that, help me out, flower people. What's the ones that come back every year? That's annuals, right? Huh? Perennials. They come up, they die, they don't come up again. You have annuals, they'll die, and they come back again. With some fruit, you got to have a male and a female in order for them to produce. You have seeds that come out of something you eat and you replant those seeds and then those seeds will reproduce itself. You have a man and a woman that becomes a husband and a wife and they come intimate with one another and the seed of one goes into the egg of another and within nine months you absolutely have human life and it speaks to God's plan of reproducing what was originally created. God himself is in the earth. When you really study science and you dig into the technicalities of our universe and our weather patterns and our seasons and the lands in which we live in and explore, you can't help but to see God in them. That's why so oftentimes God uses the universe and the weather and the land and the earth to express himself. The wind as the spirit, water as his life, an oak tree as his strength, river as his provision, wilderness as a struggling time, a mountaintop experience as an intimate experience with God. Because why God is in the earth. Forgive us, Lord, if we look at the, majesty, the majesty of the earth and don't remember the majesty of our God. Amen? Verse 2. Let's move on. I get excited about that one. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. Hmm. Or that word ordained actually means to establish. It means to lay a foundation. And it means to appoint. It really don't make sense, does it? Why? And, and, and the term here, babes and nursing infants, this is actually a twofold thing. This is if I'm not mistaken, either the second or third prophecy that was, that, that, that was in Psalms. And this uh, speaks to Jesus. But it goes, it, it, it becomes literal as well as prophetic. So literally speaking, it doesn't make sense. Out of the mouth of babes or nursing infants, God has ordained or God has ordained strength, has established, has appointed strength. The term mouth of babes and nursing infants, because especially an infant doesn't have the mouth to speak, right? They haven't developed a vocabulary. But what does come out of a mouth when their mouth gets full of it is milk. And milk is referred to a very elementary stage of the word of God in a believer's life. But what's very interesting 
is throughout Scripture at different times, God has used individuals that was considered babes or young in the faith. David rose up and killed a giant, and he was considered young. Mary became the mother of a Savior, and she was considered young. Joshua was, when he first got connected with Moses, was considered young. Timothy, to carry on a very important part in the development of the church in the New Testament, was considered young. And God consistently uses the young. God consistently uses those who may not, quote, have paid their dues. And there's a reason why he will use maybe the inexperienced to get a certain type of job done. That's not to say that that just because one is inexperienced that they can just be put in a position. We do have to be very wise with that because it's not always the case and scenario. But there are times that God does use babes and the mouth of infants which holds milk to get a job done. Why? Number one, purity. You have a young A person who is young in the Lord. They may not be young of age, but let's say a person who is young in the Lord and they're on fire for God and everything they do for God has not been tarnished. It hasn't been mixed up. It hasn't been jaded. It hasn't been adulterated. There's no ulterior motives. They've just been touched by God on Sunday and they're wanting to go preach the gospel on Monday. And sometimes God will use an inexperienced or a person that is full of milk as opposed to that is full of meat because their intentions and their heart and their mind is absolutely pure. They don't care about getting recognized. They don't care about a title. They're not doing it for no reason other than they want to do something for God. Another reason, I have five of them here, another reason God might choose a a babe is because of simplicity. Sometimes their prayers can be simple. And God hears their prayer. Sometimes their word, their knowledge of the word, or what they declare of the word can just be simple, but it's the word. Sometimes their testimony can be just simple, but yet it is it is pure in its form and its fashion. Sometimes their faith can just be simple. But the Bible says that just a simple seed of faith can move a mountain. Sometimes their worship can just be simple. I remember when me and Lorana used to do uh, mission trips to different, to basically Central and South America, and we would take teams of teenagers And sometimes we had the greatest moments when we just had a teenager with a guitar in the middle of the jungle just playing a worship song. And you had anywhere from 30 to 100 teenagers in the middle of a jungle or the middle of a barrio barrio, just praising and loving God. And the power of God fell one time right in the middle of the ghetto through simple prayers of teenagers. And I was the leader. We laid our hands on a drunk man and that guy got delivered from alcohol within 30 minutes minutes. We've seen him a few days later. He was completely free, completely free of alcohol on his way to church. He was actually looking and asking for help so that he can have a suit to go to church. From the simplicity 
of a young follower of Jesus' heart. Another reason why God might choose a babe is to humble the proud. The apostles, the Bible says, was untrained men, but yet they had power. And their power that came from the Holy Ghost humbled the pride of those religious leaders. Sometimes God might use a babe because to reveal his power. Like Gideon. Gideon was not a powerful man by, by nature. He wasn't from a powerful tribe by nature. But yet he was called by God and he exercised the power of God. And he became one of the most powerful judges in the time of judges. He was weak, but God was strong in him. And then last but not least, sometimes God uses babes to confound the wise. Like Jesus, when he was 12 years old, and he found himself in the temple, blowing the minds of the temple scribes at 12 years old. Jesus uses babes. And just to remind us, Job prophesied and Peter preached that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and our sons and our daughters will prophesy. In other words, our babes will prophesy. If you were here Sunday, what did I say prophecy was? Twofold. Prophecy, onefold, is exhorting, edifying, and lifting one another up through the word of God. Twofold is prophecy is foretelling the future or declaring a message directly from God concerning the past and the present. And God says that our babes is going to prophesy. I declare that in the name of Jesus. Let's move on to verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Going back to the solar system, when you consider the solar system in space, what is man but a speck? But even though humanity a speck in the midst of space is still considered by God. If you really think about it, God is, unma- is unimaginable. I-, I-, I can't imagine God. I mean, I know of God because of what the Word says, but I can't wrap my brain around God. I try. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that is omniscient, omnipresent, the God that has always been and always will be, a God that has no beginning and will have no end, a God that made the earth we live in, made space where our universe resides in, I cannot imagine him. But the unimaginable, imaginable God is mindful of a speck of a man like myself. When you jump inside the word mindful, you find the Hebrew word called zakar. And I really, I really, really like this. So please, please listen to this. So when you dive into what that word really means, and it says God is mindful of us, it actually means in the Hebrew to mark 
or remember continually as perpetual incense rising to set the heart upon to keep continually in I like this in merciful view I'm going to say that again so what is man that you are mindful of him David is saying God is mindful of us in Hebrew the word is zakar it means to mark what are we marked by we are marked by the blood of the lamb by the blood of Jesus Christ to mark or remember continually as perpetual continual incense rising incense was used as a form of worship to set the heart upon to keep continually to keep can you say continually thank God for this to keep continually in merciful view so when I mess up he doesn't have a judging view he doesn't have a angry view he doesn't have I'm gonna smash you view but he has a merciful view now that doesn't mean he does not discipline amen but he views me with mercy that's what being mindful means David also said and the son of man that you visit him so not only is he mindful but David said and the son of man you visit him now this term son of man is multifold number one this is another reference to Jesus because Jesus referred to himself as the son of man and we know that God visited Jesus the son of man but those of us that are saved we come underneath the adoption of the father because of Jesus which also makes us son or daughter of God as well so that means we are capable and we have received a visit from God as well. So how does God visit us? A few things. Sometimes he just comes himself. Sometimes God just shows up on our doorstep in that midnight hour. How many of you have experienced God come to you in a midnight hour? He sent Christ. Christ said, you see me, you see the Father. He still sends Christ today. He sends by sending his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the internal essence of God. It is the Spirit of God himself. God visit, visits us. Visit. Via. <laughs> visits and via getting those mixed up. Via his Holy Spirit. God visits us by sending us his angels. How many of you have ever had an encounter with an angel? I've had one. I think I've had two. Maybe three. I told the story. I, woke up, I rolled up when I was a kid. I rolled over 
rolled over in my bed at my grandparents' house and there was a seven-foot white angel standing over me. He was just like a silhouette. Kind of freaked me out a little bit, so I rode back over to the other side and went back to sleep. But I wasn't scared enough to run to my granddad. Anyway, that has stayed with me my whole life because I know what I saw. In that same house, you know, I'm a bit skeptical, so unless I know that I know, I don't say. But I, I, I do say there's a possibility that this happened, happened right. So I stayed with my grandmother when my grandfather died for a, a week or so. And I was going from the guest room in, 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 into this little this area, and the guest room and the master bed is right next to one another. And as I was passing their bedroom, the door was open. Out of the corner of my eye, on a, a sitting chair that is in their bedroom facing the bed, I could have swore I seen an angel like this, like staring right at my, where my granddad slept at. Just, you, you know, you see, you, you see the pictures of the thinking man? Where his elbows like, like this? I, I could have swore as I walked past and I kind of did this. You know, you kind of do this, yeah? I about broke my my neck looking back. Of course, it was gone. But my angels visited my granddad on a regular basis and my grandmother. My grandmother in a worship service once looked up and seen two angels at the corner of the worship of the church, and there was a powerful move of God going on. So I heard these things, and I knew. My grandfather referred to his a guardian angel. He would see him walk in his backyard at times. Those things stick with you. They stick with me. That's how, that, that is some of the ways that God changed this skeptical heart to a believing heart. God visited me, has visited me through his angels. Prophets. You have a prophet come and, 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 and read you your, read a, I mean, just kind of like say something to you that you just know that they didn't know what you was going on. They didn't have no secret camera in your house. <laughs> and they just read you your mail. God visits through prophets. God visits through dreams and visions. About, usually about three or four times a year, I get, I, I, get, I get dreams and visions, and I know they're God speaking to me. And God, God visits us by his word. That's the number one way is when God reveals himself to us through his word. And not enough people get visited by God through his word because not enough people read his word. Verse, we're going to do the latter half of verse 4 uh, through verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Him being the son of man. Now, so David is, is lit, there, there is a, a, a literal thing here happening and a prophetic thing happening. So David is literally referring to humanity. Saying that you have made humanity a little lower than the angels. But what's, but what's very interesting is the, the prophetic attachment to this. So the prophetic attachment to this is we find in Hebrews 2.9, or we, we realize that this is prophetic because of what Hebrews 2.9 says. Hebrew two, Hebrews 2.9 was referring to Jesus, and it says this, but we see Jesus who was made 
a little lower than angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. So even, so there is a talk about this phrase and this idea that we were not made a little lower than angels, but we became a little lower than angels because of a fallen state. One of the reasons that is fought and believed is because Jesus, even though he was sinless, he came as a sinful man. We all are in agreement with that, right? He was not sinful. He was clean. No sin came out of Jesus' humanity. But he came as sin so that he could die as sin so that those of us who are sinful can have life. And so the fact that he is sinful gives the idea that he is below, a little bit below the angels. Because then you find that after he died and he resurrected and he ascended on high, that he was in a position and he was in a form that was higher than the angels. And so the belief is, is this, that we too will die and we too will be resurrected. And we too, if Christ is in our faith, will rest on high in heaven. And we too then will be at a position that is higher than the angels. Amen. Now, that is debatable. That, that, that is not concrete. That is, some, that is not something we build theology off of, correct? But it is a possibility. It is worth mentioning, and it's cool thinking. Right? I think so. But, anyway. but now, when you really think about this in a prophetic sense, it really makes sense to me when you look at verse 6 through 8. I love reading the Old Testament, and, and I love reading, especially David. David was writing at time, David at times was writing prophet, prophetically, and he didn't even know he was writing prophetically. He was just right. He was spilling his heart out. But yet God was using his, his, his vocal cords as a prophetic voice, and he didn't even know it. And I believe that this was one of them. When you look at verses 6 through 8, it says this. You have made him, talking about son of man, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things, all, let me emphasize, all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even beasts of the field. So when it says all sheep and oxen, it is referring to tamed or farmed animals. When it says even the beasts of the field, it is, talking to all, it is talking about all the wild animals of the field. The birds of the air, which is the creatures in the sky, and the fish of the sea, which is the creatures below the water that pass through the path of the seas. Now, when you really think about Jesus' ministry and you look at what was listed here, you see how at times Jesus had dominion over different aspects of animal life and different aspects of creation. He rebuked the wind and the wind died. He caused tax money to come out of a fish's mouth. And he caused the fishermen to catch fish when 
they were just out fishing and couldn't catch anything. So just in those two examples right there, we see that Jesus, the Son of Man, had dominion over the works of God's hands. And that all things was under his feet. Even the fact that he told the demons, the legion of demons, to go into the pigs also gives us insight into two forms of authority that Jesus, the Son of Man, had. He had the authority to control demons and he had the authority to open up the being of a pig. And it right there shows us the power that Jesus has the power of the spiritual realm and Jesus had the power of the earthly realm. But what it also teaches us is, what, is where we should be, but where we are not because of the sin of the first man, Adam. God made us. When David right here, he said, you have made him, talking about the son of man, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. God originally made us to have power in the spiritual realm and to have authority in the earthly realm. But yet the fall from God not only kicked us out of the garden, but it removed us from having the authority in the spirit and having the authority on the earth. That's why now we need the spirit of God in us to have authority in the spirit and to have authority here upon earth. Without his spirit in us, we are no longer capable. We have fallen because of sin. Without his spirit, we have no authority. We don't have the authority that in the spirit that we should have. And we don't have the authority that we should have on earth. Does that make sense? Again, it shows us the importance of the Spirit, but it also shows us what could have been. And those of us who follow the belief that we are going to be restored to the authority of the second Adam, I believe in the first and the second Adam because of Adam, because what was, a, what, what was said in, in, I think, is 1 Corinthians, but it's in the New Testament when Paul refers to this first and the second Adam. And he says the first Adam was of the earth, but the second Adam is of the heavens. And it's referring to Adam, uh, Adam in the beginning and Jesus, the second Adam. And I personally believe that we are going to be restored back to that Adamic state when we die, resurrect, ascend on high, and when Jesus establishes the new heaven and the new earth. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, I got getting a little too excited. Not mean to do that. All right, let's end. Verse 9. Verse 9 start, ends with how this chapter began. How excellent is your name in all the earth. And I love this about this chapter. It starts with a, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name on all the earth. And it ends, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It's almost as if it creates a structure. It creates a beginning and an end. And it fills it 
that the purpose of man or the purpose of God in earth and the purpose of man on earth. I believe you can dive really deep into this chapter. You will have God on the top, God in the bottom, and the purpose of God in and the purpose of man on the earth can be explained through this chapter. God is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I believe that he starts in this chapter. We're in the middle and he ends in this chapter. Eight is a very, very uh, special chapter in Psalms. If I'm not mistaken, eight means completion. New beginnings. New beginnings. Seven is completion, ain't it? Thank you. Anyway, that's it, you guys. Psalms chapter 8. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessings, for your favor, for your protection over all of us that is here tonight. I ask that your word just seep deep into our spirit, deep into our beings. We're able to chew on it. We're able to live by it. We are blessed by it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.